Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, your host, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master. The role of product manager formally dates back to around the 1930s with the start at Procter & Gamble, but it's only been in the last few years that the role has become much better known. Along with this, there's been a few annual surveys to provide insights into the role, and one that I follow is the Product Management Insights Report, which is published by Alpha. I interviewed the co-author of the report, who is also the co-founder and head of content for Alpha. That is Nis Frome, and Alpha provides an on-demand user insight platform for product teams. He's also the co-producer of This Is Product Management Podcast and the editor of Product Management Insider. In the interview, we discuss how people move into the role of product manager, the key activities product managers are involved in, the responsibilities of the product management role, where we get the ideas for product features, and how product managers spend their time. You'll find the written summary of our discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 165. Also, I want to tell you about a webinar that AIPMM, the Association of International Product Marketers and Managers, has invited me to do with them. It's titled, Make Great Products, Tools to Get Ideas, Select Ideas, and Build a Business Case. I'll introduce you to seven innovation systems, 18 ideation methods, the one best approach for creating a business case, and a single framework for turning ideas into great products. Please check it out and register at theeverydayinnovator.com slash great. That's theeverydayinnovator.com slash great. Now, to the interview. Nis, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thanks for having me, Chad. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. So it's been about uh, three years since we uh, have talked, and the reason for that was we both launched a podcast for product managers about the same time, and uh, it's been fun to see your journeys. The podcast that you co-produce is This Is Product Management. Yeah, and it's it's been exciting to see yours as well and, and to see the whole industry really just change rapidly in the last three years or really not even change but emerge. It has, especially for digital product management, which is your sweet spot and what you guys do. And you have a survey and survey results, the 2018 Product Management Insight Report. Tell us, that that's really what I want to dive into on this, and we can talk more about the, the podcast too maybe later, make sure uh, if anyone listening doesn't know about it, they'll uh, know about that resource. But who did you collect data from for this report? Yeah, so this is our fourth annual report. So we do collect data from uh, as many of the same respondents as we can from years past. A lot of them move on, a lot of them aren't in product management, a lot of them for whatever reason can't continue filling out the survey. So we do also advertise across social media and uh, source from our existing channels like the podcast, uh, like our newsletter as well. But we really try to diversify beyond that so we're not getting biased results from people who are already subscribed to channels because obviously there's a bias there. Yeah. And is it fair that the most people that are responding are in the digital space doing software sort of products? Yeah, it's US-based digital. Uh, They don't necessarily have to have the title of product management because, you know, as we know, a lot of people doing product management don't necessarily have that title, right. but they have to be responsible for building digital products. Okay. And as I look through the report, and we'll talk about some highlights, a lot of interesting information, I found things that were really useful for even non-digital product managers, right? Um, there's some sources of information that certainly apply across 
across the the different domains here. And so things that people are doing, consumer goods or physical products of some sort, or maybe systems that are hardware, software, can get a lot out of this. And there's also the issue that almost all products are starting to become digital products, right? There's a digital component being added to many products in our work. So I want to dive into some specifics. Having said that, I think this is great for all product managers. First, it was interesting as you as I look through this, that only 11% indicated that they started their career as product manager. What roles did you find that the product managers tend to come from? Yeah, so it's interesting. Not only do most not start their careers in product management, it's actually uh, in decline. Uh, so we saw it briefly spike about two years ago and then just start coming down because you know the, the theory there is that employers really value you having other experiences. Mm-hmm. So some companies out there like uh, Google, and Yahoo and Twitter, they have like these uh, rotational programs to get you familiar with product management, but even those take you to other roles first. Uh, other companies were seeing value just other experiences uh, and prior roles, specifically uh, business analyst, which is interesting because obviously there's so much talk around having technical experience. And while engineering is a common previous role, business analyst has actually emerged as the most common uh, followed by engineering, and then followed by a lot of customer-facing roles from marketing to sales to customer success. So, so we're seeing empathy uh, maybe trumping some technical skills. That being said, there will always be product management roles that are just highly technical where you need a technical background. But for a lot of others, I think uh, empathy and knowing other teams within the organization m- might be more important. Yeah. And what I thought was interesting about that was that these are primarily digital product managers responding to the survey. And yet, you know, in my experience, people come from all over the place under product management, right? Um, Like it is very rare. The 11% I thought was even high that people just started in the role of product management. The they typically come from a more technical engineering development background or a business marketing background. And highest on your list, like you said, was business analyst as digital uh, product managers. And then marketing was in the list and operations. And a lot of people with more of a business sense. And I think one of the apprehensions that I hear, you probably hear it too, is people wanting to move into product management in the, in the digital space. They're really concerned about not having the, the right technical skills. It seems like the business skills are really valued. Yeah, I think that comes a lot from the lack of context around a lot of the content out there for product management. There, there are certainly roles where technology and, and engineering matter a ton. And then there are some roles where it doesn't really matter that much at all. And so you might be reading an article out there as a product manager from someone who's in a technical role saying, of course, they need to know how to code. But you're missing that context of really how their role is different than the one you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, I think, a common theme throughout the report. And, and that's really interesting is, is kind of dispelling a lot of those myths and that lack of context from role to role. Mm-hmm. And for specifics of the role, what are the actual activities that you found that product managers are involved in? Yeah, so from a high-level perspective, we actually haven't seen a lot change over the last four years. The vast majority of digital product managers are you know, set product roadmaps, write user stories. Uh, qualitatively, though, I think the inputs into those decisions has changed a lot. Like PMs today use a lot more tools, um, more PMs talk to more customers than ever before. Um, and we've seen a major shift from doing manual and tedious tasks like setting up focus groups to really adopting uh, more digitally powered, moderated, and unmoderated user interviews and a number of tools out there for that. So um, I think they're doing a lot of the same things, but the quality of how they do them is, is better. Uh, that being said, a lot of PMs are still doing 
uh, things they're really just not necessarily trained or qualified to do, like managing development teams and prototyping. And this kind of gets at what I was just saying, that there's a lot of context missing out there in some of the premier product management articles being written because so many of those articles really talk about aspirational product management. And they're, they're not saying that. They're just saying this is how product management is. But that's not really the reality. That's how product management maybe should be. But the reality is that uh, a lot of product managers are doing things that you wouldn't necessarily say should be product management. So that's why this report is really helpful. It's like really grounding. And it says, hey, this is what people actually do, whether or not they should be doing it. I really appreciate the, the top two responses on your survey results. And we'll provide a link in the show notes to all the details on this. But the one uh, top one was conducting user interviews, and second was sourcing users to generate feedback, which was encouraging to me that they're performing those activities, that that came to the top of the list. Because I know on other surveys, and as I talk to product managers, almost universally, we share that we don't have enough time with product managers. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure where that was going to come out in terms of their responsibilities. I was glad to see it, see it at the top of the list. So, so what's interesting there as well is, and you know, as people in product management, you always say the difference between what people say and what people do is is pretty significant. So it's interesting that a lot of product managers report doing that, but then you know we'll talk about this in a bit when they when they talk about their time allocation, they say they don't spend enough time doing it. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of you kind of hear perspectives from both sides on that. And it does help that we have better tools, especially in the digital space, for collecting some user information and getting feedback and having better guidance to go on. The one activity that was, you know, when when you asked what are they actually responsible for, the activities that they're responsible for, setting the roadmap was at the top of the list. And this is also, you know, if I'm in product management channels on Slack where people are talking about where they need help, this is often a question that comes up, right? How, how do I set the roadmap? Again, it comes down to, you know, aspirationally what you would love versus the reality of what it is. So aspirationally, you know, I I see a lot of talk and, you know, obviously we're advocates of, you know, the more thematic roadmaps of problems you're going to solve, areas to tackle. But when your sales team says, what are we building next quarter? What am I communicating to these prospects we're trying to close? Like, you can't just say themes, right? It just doesn't work uh, in a lot of different environments. So Again, and that's another theme throughout the report is that you're not always in an ideal situation as a product manager, and you have to make the most of a non-ideal situation. And I think that's key, that a lot of the things that we want to be doing are highly constrained by the organization and what the actual responsibilities are, and we don't necessarily have the time to work on what we want to, and we're putting out fires. A frequent discussion on this podcast has been that the role of product management often is just seen as a, a labor pool, right? It's someone available to help out marketing when they need it or help out development, you know, doing prototypes or something or or database queries or something, right? Writing code even and helping out where needed as opposed to really being the one that is helping to define the vision for the product and what needs to be built so everyone else is building the right thing. Absolutely. I, I think the industry is trending in the right direction. And again, context matters. Some companies... And and not even just companies. I don't even think we should speak in in general about a single company. It's certain teams. Mm -hmm. There might be a department or a team where the product management is more of that aspirational setting the vision, setting the strategy. And there could be another team at the organization where it's much more project coordination, project management. So it it just differs so greatly from one to the next. And that's, that's why getting this sort of data is so interesting. It is. In some respects, it just 
it's comforting, I think, you know, for product managers listening to be able to come see the report and go, okay, you know, I'm doing some of the things everyone else says they're doing and having to deal with some of the same things. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators, your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us the concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to theeverydayinnovator.com forward slash master. You're one place to become a product master. Theeverydayinnovator.com forward slash master. Don't wait. Get started now. And one of my favorite questions to ask is, what are the challenges that you're facing? Uh, What were the challenges that you found in the survey results from the product managers that you looked at? Yeah. So kind of like we said, you know, dealing with a lot of the stakeholders mm. is is really the one thing that has not changed in the last four years is product managers spend a ton of time in meetings and expectedly internal politics consistently ranks near the top of their challenges. But here's, here's where it gets interesting. So every year we ask product managers about their biggest wish for the coming year. And it, it actually always seems highly correlated with the surrounding media and hype. So I've got a little bit of a theory here going. Mm. The 2015, the, the biggest wish they said was a better product strategy and clear roadmap. And my theory for that is because that's that's really what they needed, a better product strategy and clear roadmap like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2016, though, their biggest wish was a salary increase. And my theory is that uh, it's because they didn't get a better product strategy and they didn't get a, pe- a better roadmap, but the market around product management heated up. It was you know the year that product management really emerged, I think. Mm-hmm. So they felt that they should at least be paid more for their efforts. Their number one wish was a, you know, a salary increase. Uh, in 2017, their number one wish was to get more resources. Uh, internally for their team. That's because I think they got paid more after after all the hype and after the market heated up. So they got paid more for their efforts. And now they felt they needed more resources to do a good job and, and get that better product strategy and clear roadmap. Hmm. And now in 2018, their their number one wish, again, was a better product strategy and a clear roadmap. And I think that's because they got more resources, they got the higher salary increase, but that never none of those helped solve the original problem of having a better company-wide product strategy. So it sounds like some incremental changes along the way, right? The, the, to me, those are kind of dominoes that got knocked over. Now we're back at the beginning again. We need a, a clear product vision and a way to collaborate around that and express that. And that's usually thought of in terms of a roadmap. Yeah, yeah. So it, uh, hopefully it's incrementally better. But I think a lot of roles, you'll never feel that you have as much clarity. And, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe maybe a lack of clarity is the reality of product management. Maybe. I think this is just a lot of it is the maturity of the industry. And we went from many organizations and individuals not knowing what product management was. I was in this role doing project management work, creating products, you know, for 10 years before I even knew there was this thing called product management. And I've talked to lots of other people who have, you know, longer experience in this field that stumbled across it too. Well, now it's showing up in headlines, right? The last two, three years, it's become its own thing. 
but we still don't have any good, clear descriptions of what the actual role involves, unlike project management, where you can point to some clear, you know, PMI has done us a great favor in the Western Hemisphere having this clear body of knowledge. You say, these are the processes for a project manager. And there's some organizations helping with that for sure for product management, but it's still a little little bit uh, of a mixed bag of things. Absolutely. I, I definitely think it needs to be defined more. It's just, it's not necessarily helpful when it's it's almost universally defined, but that universal definition is wrong. That can be more dangerous than not having a definition. Right. We've evolved from the, you know, you're the mini CEO of the product to, right. to recognizing that, no, you have some responsibilities, but absolutely no authority. Right. But that was very dangerous. It was. That, that, that set a lot of people back. It gave them the wrong expectations. It was, it was wrong on a number of levels, and that, that's where it becomes problematic when that happens. Yeah, and right now I think there's a lot of people entering product management, especially in the digital space, that are, you know, like they're hearing us talk about the importance of a roadmap. And obviously there's all, all these product managers who are saying that, you know, that that's top of my list of what I want to work on and, and really my biggest challenge this past year and coming is to create a roadmap. That doesn't mean that this is my advice, at least product managers that are new to a new to the role or new to the organization rush in and say, Oh, here's going to be the roadmap, right? There's always been lots of things that were probably already tried in that organization and past that went down the decisions that were made in the past and getting familiar with what has been done already is I think a good place to start trying to create that vision around a roadmap as a new to organization or new to product management. That's exactly what a new CEO would do, but not necessarily what a business analyst would do, which is why I think we're seeing a lot of people coming in with the more analytical perspective, mm-hmm. empathy, business background. Hey, let's, let, me, let me explore a little bit. Let me see who's who, what's what, before I start just calling the shots. Yep. Yeah, it's really good advice. When it does come to figuring out how to get that roadmap put to place, you know, this, a lot of that has to do with sourcing ideas, right? Where do we get our ideas from? And it was a question that you asked in the survey. And what were the responses for where ideas come from for product features? So I actually think this is one of the most positive areas of the entire report from an organizational perspective, because while we didn't necessarily see more product managers uh, getting key ideas from customers or collaborating with teams, although that, those percentages were already very high uh, and have been high in years past, we did see a major drop in the number of ideas coming from executive orders or you know, basically demands from, from leadership. And you know, I don't want to read too much into that without doing further research, but at least anecdotally, I think it, it's some indication that execs are finally buying into customer insights, lean, whatever you want to call it, but saying, okay, that way of working hasn't worked of this top-down innovation doesn't it just doesn't work mm. and so i think we're seeing a little bit more trust that people that are closest to the problem you know driving the solutions yeah the idea of co-creation you know that we, we've seen in you mm-hmm. know things like design thinking and open innovation and other aspects is really important that we're getting the ideas from customers and by no means do i want people to interpret that as let's go ask customers what they want but we're right. doing research to understand, try to identify their unmet needs and how we can improve value for them. Number two on your list was team brainstorming. Those were, you know, statistically almost identical, right? A majority of yeah. people saying we're getting direct customer from the feedback and a majority of people saying we're using team brainstorming. To me, I, I don't know if there was more behind what that meant to people, what you tell them in the survey, but it sounded like there's collaboration going on inside 
you know, at least inside their group, some in some sense inside the organization, to work on product. Yeah. I mean, no matter how much we spell out the answers, there's always going to be a little bit of ambiguity as to, you know, what does team brainstorming mean to one respondent versus another respondent? Mm-hmm. But I think those are those are pretty connected. If if you're getting ideas from customers, like you said, that customers are not telling you what to build. They're telling you pain points and maybe what they think you should build. And then there's a level of interpretation that needs to be done internally. So I think those kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. And then it drops off quite a bit, right? Looking at competitors' products, getting ideas from the sales team, all are much lower, which to me is really encouraging. Because uh, I know some organizations historically, you know, their, their big source for ideas was competitors. And my response is always, how do you know the competitors got it right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You better be close to the customer, especially if you wanted to create any new value, not just follow everyone else. Absolutely. I think there, there's use into studying competitors, of course, sales team, of course, but not when it's uh, you know dictated per mm-hmm. se. There's got to be a level of interpretation and analysis that goes into it. You mentioned this a little bit earlier about the difference about the responsibilities and where they actually spend time. And I want to ask you about that time aspect where are our product managers wanting to spend more time on what kinds of work? Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, somewhat unfortunately the most expected part of the survey is that, you know, they think they spend too much time dealing with internal politics, building rapport, convincing stakeholders of things. And they'd rather spend more time talking to customers and running experiments and, you know, following processes that would get them the sort of data to inform better product decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's good, even even if their time is 90% spent talking to customers and 10% internally, which I don't think it's anywhere near that. But uh, I think it's good that product managers always want to do more of the talking to customers. So that's a good thing. But right. I don't think they're anywhere near where they'd like to be quite yet. Yeah, the internal politics is tough, right? That product managers, we operate inside a cross-functional environment and we have to get support for our ideas and ideally, the the insights we're getting are coming from some kind of consumer market research, and we're bringing that forward. And we need to get the other, you know, anyone with a vested interest in this, you know, product and any of the stakeholders, kind of on board with those ideas and and build support and collaboration. And I, I've shared many times uh, on on these discussions with others that the you start doing that before you need to. When you are in the role, when you're in an organization, you start building the relationships before you actually need those relationships and having the relationships in place, which I suggest just take someone to lunch once a week, take someone to lunch. You don't know and start building some relationships and find out what they do that can help us smooth some of the stakeholder management expectations and politics that get involved. I 100% agree. I that's, that's similar advice that that we give here. Um, It it really just shows that the data doesn't make decisions. People make decisions. And if you don't have rapport with those people, you could have you could be doing every process in the world, and you're going to spend most of your time doing internal politics uh, or dealing with that because it, if if they don't know you, if you don't know them, if you don't have empathy for each other, they don't care what research you did, who you talked to. You're gonna you're gonna be fighting uphill battles all day. Yeah, absolutely. Big places encouraging that uh, response. Product managers want more time with customers. Another one was uh, running product experiments. Yeah, so obviously we've got a lot of uh, data around that, even beyond the report. That's kind of the space we play in mm-hmm. uh, at Alpha, my company. And, um, you know, we see that a lot. It's 
it's you read the lean startup, you read one of these books out there and you think, okay, we're going to apply this to our fortune 500 and things just start breaking down, especially as you scale. Um, there's just a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of industry regulations, a lot of people involved when you're trying to do those things manually. And so there, there's just such a gap between wanting to do an experiment and actually being able to do an experiment. And we see that in all the reports we do and all, you know, all the interviews we do with product managers. That's, that's a real pain point is being able to run experiments at scale. I just recently did a follow-up interview with back in episode 110. I interviewed Taylor Dawson about First Build, which is the innovation lab for GE appliances. And now he's moved on to a new venture that came out of First Build, still associated, called Giddy, uh, Giddy.io, to help kind of bring a a physical, you know, if you're building these physical kind of devices, innovation lab to anyone. And what was interesting in that history was GE Appliances, you know, they brought in Eric Reese. They wanted to act more like a startup. I think they tried this for five years and yep. uh, didn't see the results. Um, and it was yep. all because of organizational structure. And it, that's a really hard thing to change in a large organization. So they mm-hmm. created this independent innovation lab called First Build, where they were able, their goal was to do idea to market in uh, three months. And they met that on many products. Yeah, we're seeing that as one definitely viable solution. I think the next great challenge and the next great evolution of this sort of methodology is how do you integrate that throughout an existing organization? Right. Um, because it's great to have you know the Skunk Works and those sort of labs, but Amazon and Netflix don't necessarily work that way. They they drive innovation across many different departments, and if you can't move that fast across your organization you're going to come face-to-face with them at some point. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to get, to get the ideas back in and, and influence the culture of the larger organization. But we're seeing some people starting to have some success, so it's encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot more information in the actual report. Can I uh, put a link in the show notes so everyone can get this easily? Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be available on alphahq.com forward slash resources. Okay. And as product managers know that listen to this uh, podcast, I love a good innovation quote. I always ask my guests for one. What did you bring us and why did you choose that one? Yeah, sure. So uh, a quote I really like, I've, you know, I include it in a lot of articles and a lot of content we do is that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth uh, from Mike Tyson, not an endorsement of Mike Tyson, not personally a huge fan of him, but uh, said something that I think is just really, really pertinent. Because we're really at a moment, I think, of reflection and product management. It's a role that has fully emerged, as we've talked about. It's real. It's not a fad. Companies of all sizes in every industry are adopting it. Mm-hmm. But the challenge is, like we just said, it's not necessarily the dream job that many articles make it out to be, unless maybe you're working at one of the top tech firms. And even then, it's probably still not that dream job. You don't have infinite resources. You don't have a legal team or finance team that's excited to fil- facilitate all your lean aspirations. Um, you know, you don't have an executive team that understands why you don't just build their grand ideas. So for the foreseeable future, at least a lot of product management will be making the most of non-ideal situations of thinking on your feet and more importantly, being as nimble as possible throughout all of that. So I think finding a way to make the most informed decision as quickly as possible when you can almost never have all the information you need. And that's really what the quote is all about. It's a very powerful quote because I, everyone we should have a plan for what we're trying to do because we learn a lot just in the planning process that makes everything go better later too. But no plan survives the real world. <laughs> Things happen, and I love that, until we get punched in the mouth because the unexpected happens. And for product managers that are especially new to the space, as I've talked to many of them, 
it's often two responses. It's like, well, I didn't really know what the role was about. So mm-hmm. I basically don't know what my day looks like. There's always stuff I have to react to and do. Or they had a pretty clear vision of the role because of things they've read and they get in and it's really different. They got, you know, they're getting punched in the mouth. Thankfully, we have a lot more resources, your podcast, certainly this podcast, and we have good tools. So why don't you tell us about uh, your tool as a co-founder Alpha and how people can certainly find out more information about that and your resources with your podcast too. Sure. Yeah. So our company is kind of at this uh, this really interesting intersection. Our platform, Alpha, uh, enables these teams, these product teams, to make data-driven decisions about users, products, and new markets. So we've essentially put tech behind a lot of the manual processes we just spoke about, specifically with regard to experimentation with generating customer insights. We work with about a third of the Fortune 100 uh, to help them inform their product decisions. Uh, to that end, really, we, we produce a number of these reports, like the 2018 PM Insights report we just talked about, uh, and other resources to help the whole industry move forward, uh, to enable individual practitioners to advocate and get buy-in from their stakeholders. Uh, so our website's alphahq.com. Uh, you could go to that forward slash resources for the report. We also produce, like you mentioned, uh, This is Product Management, our podcast, Product Management Insider, which is our newsletter and medium publication, and actually a new channel, the Alpha Executive Series, coming out in February, where we go behind the scenes with product leaders at uh, leading organizations. Thanks for sharing those resources. I'll make sure they're all in the show notes for this episode as well. And thanks for giving us the information from the survey. I'm glad you conducted this. I found the information really relevant, not just for digital product managers, but anyone involved in this space, as well as those that are hiring for product managers. So thanks for getting it put together for us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show and discussing the insights. Thanks for listening. Find the summary of the discussion with NIST and the Product Management Insights Report at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 165. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.